Today, we begin a new series in the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. Read with me 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the inerrant, unchanging, perfect Word of God. Amen. These very small verses are packed. I have a power pack that I sometimes carry around with my phone. The phone battery seems to run out of power far too quickly. But then I can turn to my power pack, connect, and the phone seems to have endless life. The power pack is so small, just like these two verses, and yet it's full to overflowing with power. So much is contained in these deceptively small things, verses or power packs. They both restore, refresh, revitalize, so that I can keep on going without a thought of running out. It's my prayer today that as you too come to our very small verses of our short text today, that you would be filled to overflowing with power to live a joyful, fruitful Christian life, even in the midst of your suffering. Our text has three condensed power cells. They are the writer's introduction to people, the purpose, and the power. People. These two verses are packed with people and descriptions of who they are. There is Peter. There are the elect. And there is our triune God. Purpose. These two verses are packed with implications from God's active presence with Peter and the elect that open up the way for a beautiful letter assuring believers that there is joy in fruitful Christian living right in the midst of suffering. Power. These two verses are packed with information on the enabling source of such joy and fruitful living, God's grace and peace extended to his elect. Let us begin firstly with the people. There is Peter. He confidently and simply describes himself as an apostle, a messenger. We need to go back 30 years to a time when he was neither called Peter nor confident as an apostle. He and his brother Andrew were uneducated fishermen from Galilee. His parents had named him Simon. 
The brothers were called to be disciples, and they immediately joined this growing band of wanderers following their teacher. They left their fishing trade and became fishers of men. He also left his obscurity and is now mentioned over a hundred and fifty times in the New Testament, not as Simon, but as Peter. Along the earthly journey with Simon's teacher, he was renamed by his teacher as Peter, Cephas, Rock. During this 30-year journey, there had been a change in trade, a change in name, and a change in heart. His change in heart marked by an amazing confession and it's upon this confession that the church is built, built upon a confessional rock for a foundation. And it's filled the next people of our text, the elect. So the church is full of the elect, and the elect means the chosen. A special status for it immediately implies that some are not chosen. The original hearers of Peter's message may not have felt that they had any particular special status at all. They were part of the Roman Empire, but rather distantly tucked away up near the corner of the empire by the Black Sea. They were not movers or shakers in the empire. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia were geographically linked and part of the network of empire communication, roads, trade routes, sources of tax revenue. But they didn't make the front page of the newspaper as an economic or political centre. The establishment of their churches were likewise rather unremarkable. The great missionary church planted to the Gentiles, Paul, was actually prevented from coming their way, as recorded in Acts 16, verses 67. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Our text, however, makes it very clear that if these people were not very important in the world, they were yet very important to God. They were the elect. And so we're introduced to the third person in our text after Peter and the elect, and that is God. God himself is revealed to us in this text as the triune God, the three-in-one God, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, who is named Jesus, and is God's promised Messiah, Christ, anointed one, and God Holy Spirit. God is revealed in all his mighty actions that are full of purpose. And so we turn in our text from, firstly, the people of the text, to secondly, the purpose 
we are told that God the Father had, verse 2, foreknowledge of the people of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And this foreknowledge marks them out as elect. Now we must understand that father, the Father's foreknowledge did not involve God looking down the future years of history before He made the world to see whether these people would be Christians or not, to decide only then whether they would be elect before the beginning of time or not. No, God's election of some of these people and likewise his sovereign choice not to make some elect was established in his mind independently of their future choices. That way, they could not boast that their status as elect by God was based upon the outcome of their own choice. The choice of election is all God's, so that no one can boast. In God's sovereign choice, these sinners who were destined for spiritual death are saved from their sins and declared guiltless in the courts of heaven, justified right before God. And now they are, in verse 2, in the sanctification of the Spirit. These people may be legally guiltless, but they have remaining sin that they have to subdue, to flee from, to overcome. They are being steadily changed by the Spirit to become more and more who they are, more and more like Jesus. God is working in them, verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus, like them, was not yet at home when he walked the earth. He was an alien, an exile, a sojourner on his way home to his final home. He too, in his humanity, had to learn obedience. He was obedient even unto death, death upon the cross. And he suffered and died on the cross with a purpose to pay the price for the sins of the elect of God, the Father, so that they did not have to suffer the consequences of their sin. He saved them from the punishment for their sins and instead gave them His righteousness and the grace to live a righteous life. Yet they would still fall into sin. But part of the Spirit's sanctification is that the elect are made clean again and again as they confess their sins and are forgiven by the sprinkling of his blood. Just like in Leviticus, the chosen people of God were washed clean of their sins by the sprinkling of blood. We read in Leviticus 14, 6 and 7, He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop, dip them and the life bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean, and he shall let the living bird 
go out into the open field. David knew of this cleansing in Psalm 51 verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now the elect of the New Testament have a better cleansing for sin. The very blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled on their hearts to sanctify them, to transform them into his likeness, to prepare them for their final heavenly home, where they'll no longer be exiles, but truly at home. But as Peter writes, they are still called, in verse 1, exiles. They're not yet home. They've not been drawn together into the safe city walls of the heavenly Jerusalem from where evil, suffering and death are banished. They are still part of the dispersion. Some in Pontus, some in Galatia, some in Cappadocia, some in Asia, some in Bithynia. The dispersion. As Zimbabweans, Don't we know the reality of dispersion? How many are in other countries? They know the uncertainty of no papers or limited permits due to expire. The Zimbabwean diaspora. Zimbabweans are not at home in Zimbabwe, but that doesn't stop them being Zimbabwean. The the dispersion of the elect meant that they were not home in the home of the elect yet, but they were still the elect, waiting for a better home, for their Jerusalem. It would take less than a decade in AD 70, and the Jerusalem that they knew would be completely destroyed, obliterated, a city that would experience the equivalent of an ancient Roman atomic bomb. Not one stone left standing upon another. But the elect wait for a better city. Hebrews 11.10 That city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Even though they were not there yet, Peter writes to them a letter about being filled to overflowing with power to live a joyful, fruitful Christian life, even in the midst of suffering. We will spend the next few weeks feeding on this beautiful letter from Peter to the elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Peter is not writing a gospel which is an account of the life of Jesus. We would need to turn to the Gospel of Mark to understand Peter's spirit-led recollections of the life of Jesus. No, this is not a Gospel, it's a letter where Peter distills doctrine and is an authoritative messenger, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the remnant people, both Jew and Greek, that Jesus was drawing together into the way on their journey through this world. People apparently insignificant to the world, but precious and sought by the God of heaven. This letter instructs them them on 
how to be filled to overflowing with power to live a joyful, fruitful Christian life, even in the midst of suffering. And so we turn in our text from firstly the people, secondly the purpose, to thirdly and finally the power. Our text concludes with Peter's opening prayer as an apostle of Jesus Christ to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Asia Minor, which is now present-day northeast Turkey near the Black Sea. And his prayer is, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's both powerful and simple. It is this grace and peace that Peter prayerfully desires that they have in ever-increasing abundance, multiplied to them. That is the power to enable them to live a joyful, fruitful Christian life, even in the midst of suffering. These words, grace and peace, are not magic. They don't contain in themselves a power to be appropriated by the hearer. So what do we mean Grace and peace is the power for Christian living. Grace. Grace is a gift of God. Peter pronounces God's blessing of grace upon God's chosen people. As the Holy Spirit removes the veil from our minds, we understand that the actions of the Son, Jesus Christ, in his life, at the cross, and in his ascension and glorification, were only possible through a way of suffering. The old Simon tried everything he could to avoid suffering, even becoming a tool of the devil to tempt Jesus to avoid the way of suffering too. Jesus had to say to him, Get behind me, Satan! When Peter said, no, you're not going to die. The changed and born again Peter realized, experienced, and is now an authoritative apostolic messenger to the truth that suffering doesn't harm believers. It actually serves to spiritually strengthen and grow them on this heaven-bound journey. This is God's grace to us. In the letter, you will hear God graciously instruct us to avoid sinning, not to avoid suffering. Jesus died to save us from our sins, and his suffering transforms our suffering for our good. This knowledge given to you as a blessing by God through his word and affirmed in your heart and mind by the power of the Holy Spirit is God's grace to you, empowering you to live a holy life. Peace. Peace also is a gift of God. The Old Testament Jewish blessing of Shalom is now for all God's people, Jew and Gentile, 
since Jesus' work at the cross has removed the dividing wall of hostility. All of God's people, of every ethnic background, tribe and race, every social position, rich and poor, influential and uninfluential, every place in God's created order, man, woman, elder, child, intellectual, simple, all are at peace with each other and at peace with the created world around them. More than that, the elect are at peace with God, a peace that passes understanding. The Spirit applies to my life the rewards that Jesus achieved for me at the cross, and that is reconciliation with the Father as He planned it from the very beginning, before the beginning of time. This is the source of deep peace and comfort to the Christian as we live in the chaos of this world. At times I worry and I am anxious because of increased counsel rates or the risk of catching or passing on an unseen virus to and from others around me or being concerned what other unhelpful legislation my government will impose upon an already burdened flock of God. However, when I go beyond these subjective, personal worries and prayerfully lay them before God, then I can know much bigger the consuming peace of God as I grow in my trust of Him to direct all these troubles, all these sufferings, for my good and His glory. Oh, what joy flows from such comforting truth. John suffered on the island of Patmos, yet he dwelt in the Spirit. The Christians to whom Peter wrote his first letter suffered under Roman persecution and actually it was going to intensify pretty soon. Yet they dwelt in the Spirit. You too suffer under your own trials in Zimbabwe today. Yet God says to you through his word in the Spirit-led writing of Peter that you can live a life of joy and faith because you know that you are at peace with God, justified, adopted, sanctified. You dwell in the Spirit. John 16.33 tells us that in this world we will have trouble. Yes, troubles are troublesome. But God tells you in his word today and further in this letter in the weeks to come how his grace and peace affect your response to these troubles. God foreordained your salvation, elect exile of the dispersion of Bulawayo. You may only begin to feel the stirring of God in your heart and mind today as you hear the message of what Jesus has done for you at the cross, dying on your behalf for your sin and instead giving you new life and all the benefits of the rewards that he earned at the cross. 
you may only begin to feel God stirring in your heart and mind today to a joy of restored relationship with God and a desire to live according to his good plans for you. Christian, you may feel a new peace overwhelm you as you find calm and comfort in your suffering, knowing that it is your sovereign God who ordains all things for your good and his glory and gives you grace for today to grow in your trust of him in your troubles. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Peter has introduced to us the people, the purpose and the power to be revealed further in his letter. Peter's letter is going to take us much further into these truths over the next few weeks and please God for the rest of your life as you are full to overflowing with the power to live a joyful, fruitful Christian life even in the midst of your suffering. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.